Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eyes on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who doesn't, does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favouritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Oh, thank you, Neil. Very good morning to you. Nice to have you here. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to turn to your neighbour, if that's okay, and ask each other one question. What is it about this coming week, particularly at work, whether that's paid or unpaid at home or at the office, one thing that you're really looking forward to, that task you've got to do, and maybe one thing you're not so much looking forward to? Okay, so have that in mind. But let me just say a prayer. It's the collect for today, the first Sunday before Advent, Stir Up Sunday. Stir up, we beseech thee, Lord, the wills of us, your people, that we plenteously bring forth the fruit of good works. May of you be plenteously rewarded through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Go on then, you've got eight, nine seconds. One thing you're looking forward to, one thing you're not, work-wise. Thank you. Oh. Okay, great, well done, well done, time up. Do carry on those chats over tea, coffee. Uh, who should I pick on? I have warned you, uh, uh, Claire and Jules, just shout out from there, Jules, what are you looking forward to this week, work-wise? Excellent. Helping at the Breakfast Club Tuesday morning. Brilliant. And tidying up your house, you told me, for your connect group this coming week. Oh, you're not going to bother with that. Okay. Claire, what are you looking forward to or not looking forward to this week about work? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Okay, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Seeing your team meeting, a big team meeting. Well, I wonder what it is for you this week, maybe starting a new job. Who knows? Maybe it's going to the job centre, to be honest. Maybe it's paid or unpaid at home or at the office. Maybe it's joy stirring or joy stunting. I don't know what it is for you. But all of us have got work, tasks to do this week. Chores to chug through, meetings to make, tasks to tick off. And the question is for us, not so much what have we got to do, but how are we going to do them and why? This is what um, Simon Sinek gets to in one of the most popular TED Talks ever, Find Your Why. He talks about the golden circle. He says, we often talk about the what, what we've got to do. We talk about the list, what we've got to do. But he says, no, you need to get under the skin. You need to talk about how you do it. But more than that, right at the heart is the why. What is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? What's the, the fuel in your tank that's going to keep you going? The big why, the big golden circle. And that actually is just what we see in our passage this morning. In Colossians 3, tucked away in Colossians 3, we have the Apostle Paul working through a golden circle. Not, not so much the what we do, but the how and the why. And the thing is, as we grasp that golden circle, if we're Christians, it can change everything in our attitude to work, whether it's that team meeting or that tidying you've got to do, this verse we're looking at today in 20, verse 23 can, can fuel up our tank like nothing else. 
So that's what we'll be dipping into, Colossians 3. But can I just say, perhaps we're just looking into the Christian faith. Well, let me just show you who Paul's writing to here in Colossians 1. Verse 2, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the audience he's writing to. And so to be a Christian is above all to be, have a double identity. On the one hand, it's to be in Colossae, in Clapham, but it's also to be in Christ. And so if you're looking into the Christian faith, that's what it is. It's to be united to Christ, linked up with him, just as our lovely new Christmas tree. It's real, it's not plastic, by the way. Just as that branch is attached to the trunk, drawing upon it, so too to be a Christian is to be attached by faith, by the power of the Spirit, to Jesus. That's at the heart of the Christian faith. And from that flows the Christian life, the how and the why of work. So why don't we dig in, shall we? Uh, in chapter 3, verse 22, the big how of our work. And here's our key verse in verse 23. Let me read it to you. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. That's the big verse there this morning. Wholeheartedness in a word. That's what Christ calls us to, being wholehearted in how you work. Now, of course, Paul here is writing to Colossians slaves, domestic slaves in the house at Colossae in the first century Turkey. And when we see that word slaves, that should make us shudder. It is appalling thing of history and the present that somebody could be treated as a chattel, a possession to be bought and used and discarded at will from their owner. That must grieve God's heart. Because we're told in the Bible that everyone is made unique and precious in his sight, equal in his sight. And so God surely can't approve of slavery, whether then or now. You know, even today, more than 40 million people are, are tied up in this whole business of Monday slavery. It's appalling. It's, it's staggering. And yet, as Paul is writing this letter, a third of the Roman Empire was in slavery, very different sort of slavery to the transatlantic slave trade. But of course it was Christians who led the way years later because of their Christian principles to abolish slavery. But what's striking here is that Paul, he's not telling these slaves how to escape from work. No, he's telling them how to honour Christ in their work. And that challenge to them in the first century filters down to you and I today in 21st century London one way or another. And let me suggest two or three things about what wholeheartedness could look like for you and me this coming week. I think firstly, it's a call to integrity. Verse 22 picks up on that. Slaves, obey your masters in everything. Do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart. Sincerity, integrity, like a Brighton rock. Wherever you cut it, it says Brighton. That's the sort of character Christ is after amongst his people. And, and that's a challenge. Particularly many of us now, post-COVID, we're working from home. The boss hasn't got a clue what we're up to. Do you, Jago? <laughs> uh, but who knows what we're up to? But I do remember getting an email from my, um, uh, my old law firm, uh, an email from the HR department. You know, those awful emails you get. Maybe you work in HR and you send those emails. Well, I got one of those in those, sorry, and that's a, but, but I got an email and it said, suddenly, we're going to start monitoring what you're putting in your emails. And my heart sank. I suddenly 
called to mind all those emails I've been sending that had nothing to do with courts and barristers and clients, but a lot to do, to be honest, back then with my youth group at church and mission ideas to send to the vicar. (laughs) And it suddenly occurred to me, gosh, if my boss saw those emails that I was doing in a job that I was being paid to do nine to five, he would be like, Ed, what are you doing? But far more, Jesus Christ would say to me, Ed, come on, what are you doing? (laughs) You're being paid to do this law work. You should be doing that. It's a call to integrity, wholeheartedness. I wonder where the pinch is for you, honouring our bosses with how we spend our work time. Integrity, but also linked to that is, is excellence. That sense in which we will work as well as we can. Not in a sort of obsessive perfectionism, not as the best in the office, but doing a good job well done. Whether that is cleaning up for the guests coming round, or that meeting, how we chair it and plan for that meeting. Um, It's Dorothy Sayers, perhaps you know her, she was a novelist 80 odd years ago, and she wrote these words, imagining a, a carpenter who was also a Christian. She said this, she asked, what use is it with all that church stuff you're doing, if in the very centre of his life and occupation, he's insulting God with bad carpentry. The very first demand that his Christian faith makes upon him is to make good tables. The only Christian work is good work. Well done. It's a challenge, isn't it? The very first demand as you head to the office tomorrow is to work well for the Lord. That is so challenging. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. And that word whatever, well, that covers a rather lot amount of stuff, doesn't it? Uh, A couple of years ago, I was um, mowing the lawn. I was a sit-on lawnmower up at college. Acres and acres of land. Great fun sitting on a lawnmower, I have to say. And I volunteered to sit on this thing. And I was, you know, patting myself on the back for doing a little, you know, um, a good job on the lawnmower. And then Carl, the caretaker, uh, I'd, I'd done it for a good half hour, maybe an hour, at that point, and he came over to me, <laughs> I took off my head, headphones, he said, um, Ed, <laughs> I said, yes, Carl, he said, um, can I just point out a couple of things? <laughs> he, he pointed out a jagged t- turf over, uh, tuft of grass over there, and there, and there, and there, and there, and he said, yeah, this is quite jagged, Ed, and then he said, actually, your lines, they're not nice and straight, like this um, corridor here, they were all over the place, and I looked back, and I thought, he's right. But to be honest, I also thought, whatever. <laughs> I did this in my heart, whatever. You know, I've done a good job. I've done, I've done, you know, someone's done it. It could have been worse. It's whatever. I thought, this isn't Wimbledon tennis. But, but the point was, as I thought that word whatever, suddenly Colossians 3 came to mind. Whatever you do, a very different sort of whatever. Whatever you do, do it for the Lord. Paul says, which raises the stakes, doesn't it, about the quality, the excellence of your work. I wonder, what's that thing you said right at the start that maybe you're not looking forward to this week at work, at home, at the office? Just imagine for a second in the quietness, what would it look like to do that task as well as you can for the Lord? It's a challenge, isn't it? Whatever you do, means excellence, it means integrity. But it also means, if I can put it like this, to do work in a relational way. In a relational way. That is, to be the kind of people other people want on the team. 
there is a sense of team here. Look at these verses from Colossians. Whether we're juniors or seniors, we're told slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And masters, if we're a senior, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. Both ends of the spectrum are called to honour Christ in how they work. So if we're juniors here this morning, it's so easy in the workplace to have that cynical, critical, sometimes cold attitude towards your seniors. And this is saying, no, that to be a Christian in the workplace is, is to be respectful and not to be slagging off colleagues or bosses behind their back, but to, to honour them. But, but conversely, if we're seniors, if we're, the top, if we're the top of the tree, it's how we treat others below us. Masters provide what is fair and just. It's so easy in our work to be transactional, not relational. And this is saying for those beneath us, are you concerned about their flourishing? Not just how useful can you be to me, but how can I be a blessing to you? That changes things, doesn't it? It makes the workplace a context to be relationally engaged, where we're invested in one another, not because of usefulness, but because we can be agents of blessing to each other. And that will mean professional um, relationships, how we can look out and help colleagues in their tasks as well, as doing our own tasks. But I think it may also mean socially, you know, taking that step at lunch, you can have an hour's lunch, you could munch away there at your desk with your sandwich on your own, or you could say once a week, once a fortnight, you know, you, Bob, or whoever, let's go for lunch, let's grab a pret sandwich and just hang out for half an hour. Or you could take it to the next level, where you know where you hang out of, with your colleagues outside of the nine to five, when you go for a drink after work, or even better, at the weekend. That is a whole new level, isn't it, of relational investment. And that shows that you care, that you're interested. They're not just a colleague you sort of trample on, but this is a person made in God's image whom you can be a friend to. Maybe you can invite to a carol service, for example. But you see, work, it's, it's about excellence, it's about integrity, but it's also about relational engagement with others. Wholehearted is what we're called to do. And as I say that word, I guess some of us, we look back on the week just gone and think, mm, gosh, <laughs> I think it's been far more half-hearted than wholehearted. And that's right that we acknowledge that and say sorry, and as we come to the table later, we can receive again the Lord's forgiveness. It could be others, others of us look back on the week just gone and we think, no, no, I have in the Lord's grace been wholehearted. And it's right that we feel a sense of pleasure in that. You know, like Eric Liddell, that runner in the 1920s, who as he sprinted the 100 metres, as I ran, I felt God's pleasure. Well, it's right that we feel pleasure in work well done. I guess there'll be others of us, though, who take wholehearted to a whole nother extreme and it's completely obsessive. Some of us are in danger of that, where wholehearted is just means there's nothing else, no other room in your heart for somebody or anything else. And that's a danger that some of us in London busy life need to watch out for, that danger of never switching off from work, where it just occupies all your headspace, all your heart is eaten up and you have no, nothing left, maybe crumbs, for your nearest and dearest, your emotional capacity is just tied up with work. Well, that, that can't be right, can it? And the Lord says again to us, okay, Ed, maybe just look at your rhythms here. Just slow down, take a pause, and look at your healthy rhythms. Are you doing okay on that front? And that's why we need one another, connect groups, church family, to just gently challenge, how's it going? 
on the wholehearted front, whether we're underhearted or overhearted. But there we go. That's the how. The how of your work. I wonder what would it look like this week to take that in with you to your work. Whatever you do, work with your whole heart. It's a great challenge, isn't it? That we need the Spirit's energy for, which he's delighted to give us. So that's the first big thing this morning, the how of our work. But the second and the final is this. It's the why, the golden circle that Sinek takes us to, that, that Paul takes us to. Look at the why. It comes up a number of times, 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it's the Lord Christ you are serving. Four times in as many verses, Paul says it is for the Lord that you do this work. It's for him and him alone at the end of the day. So that means behind the tidying up to do, behind that meeting to chair, beneath those things and behind it stands Jesus himself. And it's as if we can open up our laptop tomorrow morning and say, Lord Jesus, this is for you. Again, that's a challenge, isn't it? It does change everything when you realise who you're doing it for. I, uh, I know someone who was a, um, uh, a housekeeper in, uh, uh, in Malawi, in southern Africa, in the 70s and 80s. And it wasn't just any old house she was a housekeeper of. She was principal housekeeper, not just for a hospital or a school, not just a politician, but for the president. She was chief housekeeper for the excellency, his excellency, uh, the president of the Republic of Malawi. And so there she was, she would go along to the market, she'd be delegating tasks, and she all did, did it knowing for whom she was doing it, the president himself. Any moment he could walk in <laughs> and she'd have to show what she was doing with her time. It was a, it was a joy for her. It, it gave a dignity and a driver for her work, a whole new dignity and a whole new driver because of the work she was doing. How much more for us, the great president, who loves us perfectly. That gives us a new dignity and a new driver too. Because of course all our work does have dignity, doesn't it? These slaves, we needed to be reminded that the polishing of the floor, the taking of the kids to the uh, school, the, the admin at the Senate, all that now was given to the Lord. It's like it could have been a dull, bland metal, but now... It can glisten like gold because of the one for whom it's being done. A whole new dignity. And of course, in many ways, almost any type of work has the dignity in and of itself, regardless of who's doing it and why they're doing it. We've been thinking about that in connect groups the last couple of weeks. Because in Genesis 1, we see that God himself is a glad, creative worker. He makes and fills the world. He rolls up his sleeves, gets his hand dirty, and he loves to use his creativity, his careful ordering, his use of communication, his delight in beauty, his unleashing of the potential. That's the character of God. He himself is a worker. And so for you and I to be made in his image, well, that means we too can image him because we're called to work too with responsibility, with care, whether that's the kids' nappies to sort out, the tidying up to do that, meeting to attend to, all of that now can be done 
for him. It's as if God himself, it's what Martin Luther called the sort of uh, our works, our daily works, our jobs, are the, are the masks, masks of God, Luther called it. That is, behind our labours in the world, God himself is caring, stewarding his world through you and I. It's amazing dignity to our work. Things that need to get done, he uses us for. And I think, you know, in London, it can be easy to miss that, or at least to um, elevate some types of work over other types. So this is what uh, the, the uh, journalist David Goodhart thinks. He wrote this book recently called um, Hands, Head, sorry, Head, Hands and Heart. And he's arguing that basically in the West we elevate cerebral professional work at your desk. Whereas work involving your hands, manual work and your heart, care work, we, we relegate that. This is what he asks. Can we really argue that the work of a junior account manager in the city is more useful than a bus driver or an adult care worker? And what a great challenge that is to us. Some work you and I look down on. We wouldn't say that. We're too polite. But we look down on it. Oh, that's beneath us. Or, oh, poor them, they've got a job to do. Or we look up at certain people thinking, wow, if only I could have a job like that with a white collar. But God's economy is very different do you remember in COVID times, there was that sense of key workers, whether you were a nurse or shopkeeper, suddenly you became a key worker because of the value of your work. Well, in God's economy, all work can now be key work because it's, it's looking after his world and he loves that. So if you're in a job that you sometimes think is a bit too menial or you're not in the glory place you'd want to be, this is a great reminder that your work has dignity. The Lord looks at it and is delighted to use you in that work. So our work, it's got dignity. But it's also, as we draw to a close, a great question about the driver in our work. Our work does drive us, doesn't it? But the question is, what's driving us in our work? For these slaves, I guess it could have been um, the fear of punishment, the hope of freedom. Some of us know that feeling, don't we, at work? We just want to be free. But this is a very different sort of driver. We've all got different hopes, different fears, different drivers that, that fuel the tank, whether we realise it or not. It could be, well, it could be status and the approval of other people. I remember the partner at my old office. He got the call from the boss saying, you made partner. He said to me afterwards, I was on cloud nine for half an hour. Because then he suddenly realised all the, the ladders he'd been climbing. He's at the top, well, what now? Status, it's so intoxicating. And with its success, someone told me this week, almost with tears in his eyes, he said, I set for myself unattainable goals because then it pushes me, it pushes me, he said. He is driven by success to be seen, to be noticed, to strive. It could be that for you. It could be salary, the pension pot stacking up nicely, those investments doing very healthily, thank you. And we slave away at work because of the penny and the pounds to come. It can grab us. Or it could be satisfaction. 
particularly millennials and Gen Z. I'm not Gen Z, actually, I'm a millennial. But some of us know that feeling of hopping from job to job because we think, if I just get that job, it will satisfy me. But more than that, if I get this job, I can change the world. <laughs> and we want jobs that will change the world. And when it doesn't happen, oh, I'll move on to another job because then I can really give the world what they really need and then we'll change the world together. You think, think to yourself. And we try and get our satisfaction from that. All sorts of things, good things that we we can attach to our work. It might be stability and just safety. We just want bread on the table for the family. That will do me. All sorts of drivers. Can I ask, if you open up the bonnet of your heart, as you look at the week ahead or the week just gone, what is it that's been driving you? There'll be something or someone. It's what it is to be human. <laughs> And into all that, into all that messiness and mixed motives of our hearts comes Colossians 3. And Jesus in his grace cuts through all that. And he says it doesn't need to be status or security or salary. It can be serving me, serving Jesus that can be the, the, the thing that runs through our lives and our work like black, Blackpool Rock. Because Jesus is a boss like no other, of course. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. In him we have an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. For these slaves, I guess their hope was going to be freedom. Well, this is on offer eternal riches for any one of us. An eternal inheritance. Jesus is the sort of boss who, who has got your back like nobody else, like your boss will never have for you. Jesus Christ is the boss who's got your back. He is so worth serving. Jesus is the sort of boss who doesn't push for success, who doesn't lay before us again and again unattainable goals that we can never reach. No, he is the one before whom we don't need to hide our mistakes, but we can be real and he loves and forgives and welcomes us again and again with a smile on his face. Jesus is the sort of boss who, who doesn't burn us out, who drives us to the ground. No, by the Spirit, renews us day after day after day with great gladness of heart. Jesus, as we remember this Advent, he is not one who clings to status and sits back in his leather armchair with his feet on the desk. No, Jesus is the sort of senior boss who rolls up his sleeve and enters his world not as a great boss, but as a baby. And he comes not in strength, but in weakness. Not full of ego, but with self-emptying. There, lying in a manger. A boss like no other. And he is a boss who, as we come to the table, isn't one who makes us strive and earn and pay our way for a place at the table where we have to grovel and earn our way and pay the cost. No, no, no. He is the sort of boss who stands up and gives us a chair at his table and tells us to sit down and with gladness and with love in his heart, he serves us. He pays the cost. He does all that to serve us. And one day we will experience that face to face where Jesus, the Lord of all we've been singing about, again will roll up his sleeves and we will sit and feast with him and he will serve us. 
What a Lord we get to serve who loves you and me like that, who's paid the cost, who welcomes us in. See, that is the golden circle that, that can change everything, the how and the why. It's not actually a why, it's a who. At the centre is, is him, Jesus Christ. He's the one who this week at work, as we open up the laptop, as we clean the house, as we chair that meeting, we can do it wholeheartedly, but we can do it for him because we know his heart is wholehearted for us. What a Lord we have in Jesus Christ who loves you like that.